0: Um, describe them as a monster, and I think that's probably accurate. Young girls snatched from their homes in the middle of the night, taken by a creeping masked attacker armed with a knife and a gun. Most were
1: released, but only after being subjected to unspeakable horror. (coughs) One victim, Carmen
0: Chan, was killed. Every parent's nightmare, to find that one of your children has been uh, abducted and murdered. The man responsible is only known as Mr Cruel. He's still out there. This could still happen again. Hi, guys. Welcome to Episode 3 of the True Crime Sisters
1: podcast. I'm Harry, and I'm here with my sister, Bill. Today we're discussing the case of Mr. Cruel, a notorious paedophile that terrorised Melbourne in the late eighties and early nineties.
0: Um, this is one of those cases for me that really stands out in my mind of all the cases I've read about, because instead of being opportunistic, this guy has really created his own opportunities to, like, harass the victims. Yeah. Like he has stalked his victims, he's chosen his victims, and he will stop at nothing to carry out his crime against those victims. Yeah. So that's probably one of the main reasons I think I've wanted to do this case. How about you?
1: It's To me, yeah, it's really disturbing. Uh, it's almost like once he's honed in on a victim, they've almost got no way of getting away from him because yeah. he will stalk them. He'll find out where they live, the best ways to get into their house. He knows them by name. Yeah. He's, a, he's chosen this person. Absolutely. So it's scary to think that if that was... Yeah, your child or someone you knew or just anyone at all that they don't have a way out like yeah exactly and, and the fact that
0: you can close you can lock your doors you can lock your windows he'll wait but he's gonna find a yeah. way in so on the 22nd of august 1987 a family slept soundly in their home in lower plenty a suburb 16 kilometers from the central business district in melbourne it was a quiet saturday morning when the family's peaceful slumber was disturbed a man dressed in a balaclava quietly removed a window pane from the lounge room of the house, which is terrifying. Mm. Like, I feel like that's quite a length
1: to go to to get into someone's house. There's quite a few things in this case that are just next-level terrifying. Yeah, I, I agree. That is one of them.
0: Okay, so he was armed with a nylon cord, a kitchen knife, handcuffs and a handgun, and he climbed
1: through the window and crept silently through the house. Uh, The first room the man went to was the master bedroom where the mother and father were sleeping. He woke them up, threatening them with his handgun and the kitchen knife. After forcing them onto their stomachs, the man handcuffed their hands and their ankles. He then woke up the children, a boy and a girl, and forced them into their parents' bedroom, telling the family he was there to rob them.
0: Once the whole family was in the room, the man removed the handcuffs from the parents' hands and ankles and tied them up with the cord he had bought he told them, be quiet and don't move or I'll hurt someone. The man used complex knots to restrain them. The family was also blindfolded with surgical tape and gagged with electrical tape. The man asked the husband of the family about his clothing size, stating that they were similar sizes. He also claimed that he would need a first aid kit, a shower, food and a shave.
1: The man then took a number of items out of the wardrobe before ordering the parents inside and covering them with a blanket. The man's attention turned to the 11-year-old daughter, who, for the sake of the podcast, we will call Jessica. The radio was turned up loudly to drown out the sound of the man abusing Jessica in the bathroom. Following this, he forced Jessica to bathe and clean her teeth. He then took her into the kitchen where he raided the fridge before taking her into the lounge room and abusing her further. He also made two phone calls while in the house, one that connected and one that that did not. And with this, I think that the police thought he was chucking out red what do they called? red herrings red, red herrings to make the make the children and just people believe even the police as well believe that was it. an accomplice yeah but you
0: know what I find weird is if one call connected yeah who did it connect to because I couldn't find any information saying when they say the call connected like do they mean that it actually connected to someone
1: else's phone or that's a good point I actually couldn't find that the call had connected so I'm surprised you found that so that's interesting so one call did connect I thought it was just
0: an overall red herring. This is what I read personally in my research was that he made the two phone calls and one of them, he hung up before it connected to anything and the other one, it did connect. And he was saying things like he was calling the person on the other end, yeah, like a bozo and sounded like he was threatening them.
1: Threatening children and...
0: Yeah. So maybe it was either supposed to sound like he had an accomplice or he was threatening another family. Yeah. And only the daughter was hearing this. So Okay, I didn't know that either. That I
1: believe. I could be wrong about that. Okay. So I guess
0: it's hard when there's like a different sort of information flying around, but I guess you can get a general consensus that he at least made one phone call, if not two. Yeah.
1: Okay. It may or may not have connected. It may or may not Yeah.
0: Interesting. Yeah. When the man was finished his twisted activities, he took Jessica to the spare room where he tied her up with a nylon cord. She was told the man was leaving and ordered to count to 100 before opening her eyes, freeing herself and her family. She waited to hear the click of the front door closing before freeing her family, who quickly called the police. The family described the man as slim to medium build with light-coloured bushy eyebrows, aged in his mid-twenties with bad breath. He had an oval face with soft hands and a deep, gruff voice.
1: This attack was similar to a number of other attacks in the area in the years before. Little did Melbourne know that the new nightmare was just beginning. This nightmare would have the parents of Melbourne terrified for their children's safety in their own home. A monster was lurking amongst them, and he is known as Mr. Cruel.
0: On the evening of the 26th of December in 1988, a family arrived at their Ringwood home after being out and about for a number of hours. John and Julie Wills got their four daughters ready for bed, and the girls were in their shared room ready for sleep by 10.45pm. John and Julie were up until about 1am when they decided to go to bed. John was struggling to get to sleep and decided to do a jigsaw puzzle.
1: After completing the puzzle, just before 5am, John turned out all the lights and went off to bed. About 30 minutes after the lights had been switched off, Mr Cruel entered the will's home. He was able to push a key that was on the inside of the house into a piece of newspaper on the floor and pull it outside before using it to unlock the house. This is a great example of the meticulous nature and preparedness that Mr. Cruel encompassed when carrying out his crimes. And so terrifying.
0: Absolutely. Because how many people do you know that have, like, the key on the inside of the lock at night when they go to bed? I feel like that's a common thing. So inside of the... So, So, like, you lock your front door and then you just have the key just sitting on the inside of the door. So he knew all that. So he would have known that and, like, just knocked it out onto the floor and then pulled it out. Who is this guy? This is terrifying. You can see why they... believe that he's like an educated man this is someone that's smart
1: yes absolutely
0: it was thought that mr cruel was watching the house that night waiting for all the lights to go off so he knew the family inside were asleep not long before this night one of the will's daughters 10 year old sharon had been photographed for a local newspaper her photograph was published and it's possible this is where mr cruel first spotted her and decided to make her his victim once inside the will's home Mr. Cruel loudly crashed through the door of John and Julie Wills' bedroom. Like in his previous attack, he was wearing his balaclava and was armed with a handgun.
1: Julie Wills instantly began screaming upon the sight of a masked intruder in her bedroom. Mr. Cruel then put his gun up to her husband's head and demanded that she stop screaming. Like in the first attacks, the Wills were forced to lie on their stomachs before being bound, this time with electrical wire. Mr. Cruel demanded money. He searched through... John Will's wallet before asking where the telephone was. He warned John, don't be a hero. He then cut the telephone cord.
0: Sharon pretended to be asleep when she heard the sound of her mother screaming, followed by the voice of a man. Mr. Krull shone his torch in Sharon's face and asked her if she was awake. He referred to her by name. Mr. Krull got Sharon down from her bunk bed and she realised she could no longer pretend to be asleep. He selected some clothes for her out of her cupboard and led her through the house.
1: After grabbing a few more items of clothing from throughout the house, on the way out, Mr Krull picked Sharon up and carried her to the back porch. Sharon was gagged after she began screaming. She was told she better not scream again. She agreed. Sharon was taken to a car and told that she would be returned to her family when her parents paid ransom money for her safe return. She was forced to duck down on the floor of Mr Krull's vehicle which she described as sounding old. Mr Krull used adhesive tape to stick a blindfold to Sharon's head
0: to ensure that she couldn't see where they were going. Eventually they pulled into a driveway and Mr Krull removed Sharon from the car, carrying her into a house before laying her down on a bed. Soon after, she was forced to brush her teeth and bathe before being assaulted by Mr Krull. Sharon could hear a number of planes flying over the house throughout her time there.
1: At some point, Mr. Cruel told Sharon he had to leave the house for a while and harnessed her to the bed by her neck, which oh, is just so disgusting. So while he was gone, all Sharon could do was listen to the radio, which was still playing in the background. That's like a horror movie I know. in itself. Poor girl. I know. Ten years old. I know. While alone, Sharon decided to bravely take a peek at her surroundings. She noticed that there was recording equipment at the foot of the bed, When Mr. Cruel returned, he again assaulted her and forced her to bathe again. After 18 hours of being trapped
0: in a living nightmare, Sharon was made to clean herself in that house for the last time. She was washed thoroughly before being told to step into a garbage bag, which was then taped to her shoulders like a dress. She also had a bag taped over her head with a hole cut in it so she could still breathe. After struggling to start his car, Mr. Cruel drove Sharon around for what she describes as a long time.
1: When the car finally stopped, Mr. Cruel lifted Sharon from the car and jogged with her in his arms. They were at Bayswater High School, which is six kilometres from Sharon's home in Ringwood. He placed her to the ground and explained to her directions to a nearby Food Plus supermarket. He told Sharon not to look at him before removing the garbage bags and blindfold he had put on her which is obviously, like, having Bayswater High School in there is quite creepy because I actually went there for a couple of years in high school and I think you played basketball yeah, there. Yeah, I played basketball there. It's not, yeah. it's, you know, within a 20-kilometre radius of yeah. where we
0: grew up. So, so for us, it's a bit of a hometown.
1: Yeah, and it's just sort of, it's not an area, like, it's It's a nice-ish area, like, surroundings-wise, but it's not exactly an, an area where you would expect to be found you could get lost around there oh, basically absolutely. like so yeah it's just and just... i think i
0: don't think it was as built up then mm. as it is now like yep.
1: now it's quite a busy area yep. it's just yeah
0: not not ideal where you want ideal. to be dropped so not long after this a woman stumbled across her standing on a street corner it was not long after midnight the girl said my name is Sharon Wills and i was taken from home early this morning a man left me here
1: and told me to go and ring home Sharon was praised for her bravery, given the extreme, terrifying circumstances she had endured. The woman who found her praised her intelligence and good spirits. Police were quickly called, and Sharon was able to rejoin her family, who at this point were frantic with worry. When questioned,
0: Sharon described the man as 173 to 180 centimeters tall and thin to medium build. He was well spoken and aged in his mid-20s to 30s. It was noted that the man seemed to have a good knowledge of forensic science and had been very thorough in removing any materials from Sharon that could have led back to him.
1: As well as giving a great description of the man himself, Sharon was also able to recall specific details about the house where she was held. She described the room where she was kept as being the second room on the right from the front door. The house had 70s style beige or cream carpet and peachy coloured full-length curtains. She was able to describe, in great detail, the decor of the house. Little did the police know this would not be the last time the same house would be described to them. On
0: Tuesday, the 3rd of July, 1990, Nicola Linus and her sister Fiona were home alone in their exclusive rented Canterbury home while their parents were out for dinner. And just for anyone who's not familiar with Melbourne, Canterbury is a very affluent,
1: well-to-do suburb. Probably more so then as well. Like now they are more affluent, well-to-do suburbs, but I think back then it was a little bit more so. It still is actually. It still is,
0: but I think it's a lot lot more built up now as well, so it's not quite as exclusive. Yes, yeah. Okay. So the family were getting ready to move back to their home country of England after living in Melbourne for three years due to a work opportunity. The girls ordered a pizza for dinner and Nicola decided she wanted to sleep in her sister's room, so she dragged her mattress in. By 11pm, the girls had eaten their dinner and they were both in bed. Not long after, at around 11.20, both girls were woken up by a man in a balaclava standing over them, armed with a knife and a handgun. Mr. Cruel had struck again.
1: The girls were forced into their parents' room as the man demanded to know where their parents kept the money. While the man looked through Mr. Sorry, how do we say his Liners. name? Liners. Sorry, Mr. Liners' wallet. He did not take anything, even though there was money in there. Fiona was then forced onto her stomach and hogtied with clothesline wire. Mr. Cruel then took Nicola to her bedroom, taking a number of her clothing items and demanding that she got dressed. Mr. Krull asked the girls a number of questions about the Linus family financial situation and then stated he wanted a ransom of $25,000.
0: It was thought that the ransom demands were a red herring to throw the police and family off the motives of Mr. Krull. While it is now known that he is a pedophile, initially the ransom demands were supposed to lead authorities to mistake his motivations as financial. Mr Krull then left the house with Nicola, leaving Fiona tied up on the bed. Not long after, Brian and Rosemary Linus returned home from their night out. Discovering the phone lines cut, one daughter hog-tied on the bed and the other daughter, 13-year-old Nicola, missing.
1: Mr Krull left the Linus property with Nicola in the Linus family car before abandoning that and moving Nicola to another car. Nicola's eyes were covered with adhesive tape and a balaclava as they drove through the night. Eventually, they arrived at a home, and Nicola was led inside and taken straight to the bedroom. Like the victims before her, she was made to wash and clean her teeth. This time, he actually told her he didn't want to leave any identifying evidence. He called her Nikki, before assaulting her and harnessing her to the bed and falling asleep next to her. That's disgusting. Like... It really is. Falling asleep next to her in bed. It just shows that he truly was a
0: pedophile. Like, he had... Like a romantic yeah. connection, he thought, in his own mind, to these
1: girls. Yeah. Which is... And he knew their names. Knew so their Nikki, names. like, it's Nicola. Like, yeah. don't... Don't act like yeah. you know her. It's disgusting. It is.
0: Unsurprisingly, Nicola did not sleep at all that night. The radio had been turned off and she was able to hear planes flying overhead. At around 10am the next morning, Mr. Cruel woke up and turned the radio back on before assaulting her again. At some point during the multiple assaults, Mr. Krull told Nicola he had followed her home from school previously and that he had schoolgirl Mm. fantasies about her. Disgusting. Yeah. He forced her into a school uniform, which he had stolen from her home, before assaulting
1: her yet again. Night fell eventually, and this time Nicola did fall asleep, completely exhausted by the horrifying ordeal she was going through. The next morning, Nicola woke to the sounds of more planes flying overhead. Again, Mr. Krull woke up at around 10am and her fate was similar to the day before. While abusing her, he called Nicola Missy.
0: So that was like his creepy nickname
1: for her, I think. Yeah, Missy.
0: It's very like he's really trying to personalise the experience, which is just so disgusting. Yeah. Really horrible. At around 5pm, Mr. Krull told Nicola that he and a friend were searching for a place to drop her off. So, again, trying to establish that that potential...
1: Other person. Yeah,
0: exactly. Later that night, he washed her thoroughly, ensuring that her body held no valuable forensic evidence. He also pretended to have a conversation with the supposed friend that was helping him, although Nicola did not hear anyone else in the house.
1: Now blindfolded, Nicola noted the five to seven steps it took as Mr. Cruel led her from the front door to a waiting vehicle in the driveway. After trying to start the car multiple times, Mr. Krull eventually drove Nicola to safety. After driving for a while, Mr. Krull removed Nicola from the car and walked her around for a number of minutes before changing directions and walking her to a different location.
0: He left her in Kew, about five kilometres from her home, after the terrible 50 hour ordeal. It was just after 2am on the 6th of July 1990. It was also her 14th birthday.
1: On that day?
0: Yeah, the day that she was found. Whoa. Nicola ran to a nearby house and the man inside let her use the phone to call her family, who were so grateful for her return. The family returned to England six days later. As you would, which is terrifying.
1: Absolutely. Like Sharon, Nicola was praised for her bravery and amazing recollection of even the smallest events of those torturous 50 hours. Although the police were no closer to catching this meticulous pedophile... They had obtained a lot of details from his victims, two brave young women who had been to hell and back and lived to tell the tale. Unfortunately, his next victim would not be so lucky. Mr
0: Cruel was not heard from again for another nine months. The parents of Melbourne remained on high alert with the news that young girls were being kidnapped and tormented. Carmen Chan was a beautiful 13-year-old girl who lived in the prestigious area of Stowe with her parents and younger sisters.
1: The 13th of April 1991 was a Saturday night at Carmen's parents. Phyllis and John were working nearby in one of the family's popular Chinese restaurants. The hard-working couple had migrated from Hong Kong 16 years earlier and made a fantastic life for themselves and their family. Carmen was at home taking care of her two younger sisters, nine-year-old Carly and seven-year-old Karen. The Chan house was described as a fortress with 18 rooms including
0: five bedrooms, a gym, A spa, a sauna, a pool and a tennis court. Which sounds amazing. (laughs) The girls were hanging out in Carmen's room, watching a documentary about Marilyn Monroe.
1: Hungry, Carmen and Carly decided to head down to the kitchen and grab something to eat. As they left the room, Mr. Cruel confronted them. He threatened them with a knife and forced them back into the bedroom by the hair. That's horrible. Yeah. He told Carmen's sisters, you two little ones, get in the cupboard. He then shoved a bed up against the cupboard so the girls couldn't get out.
0: Wearing nothing but a knee-length nightie, Carmen was dragged from the house through the night to where it is likely Mr Cruel had parked his car. After about 10 minutes, Carly and Karen were able to escape from the cupboard and notify their parents that a man had taken Carmen. The
1: police were called immediately, setting up a command post at the Chan home. Unfortunately, because of this, the crime scene was not preserved properly, and any potential evidence in the Chan home was lost within hours of the abduction. Like in
0: his previous attacks, it was thought that Mr Cruel left a red herring. On the side of Phyllis Chan's Toyota Camry, words were spray-painted, payback Asian drug dealer, and more and more to come. The police spent precious hours investigating the lead, turning the Chan's lives upside down, searching for any clues of a drug link.
1: They found nothing. Mr Chan was a hard-working man and squeaky clean in every sense. Another lead that was pursued was that both Carmen and Nicola attended exclusive private school, Presbyterian Ladies' College in Burwood, although the two had not met. Hours and days passed and Carmen was not released like the
0: girls before her had been. The police were certain that this was the work of Mr Cruel and a task force was assembled. It was named Operation Spectrum. I was just going to um say a couple of words about Operation Spectrum mm. before I continue, just to sort of show how intricate um, the task force was. So there were forty police officers dedicated to just that one case, and they spent three years and three point eight million dollars chasing Mr. Kroll.. Yeah. They interviewed more than twenty seven thousand people and checked thirty thousand houses. Uh, it was a very intensive investigation, but obviously there were problems. So like you said, Um, setting up a command post in the house bad idea because potential evidence was lost and then also um, apparently they actually lost evidence over the years as well so things that could have been tested these days when dna technology is so much better have been lost so i thought that was interesting um john and phyllis Chan made a heartbreaking plea to mr Krull to please return calm and safely john held phyllis close as she broke down Acknowledging the safe return of the two other girls. One cannot even begin to imagine what the Chans were going through. But Carmen didn't come home.
1: On the 9th of April 1992, almost a year after Carmen disappeared, a man walking his dog noticed a human skull in a landfill in Thomastown. The man walked home and notified police who uncovered the remains of Carmen Chan. Postmortem on the skull uncovered that Carmen had been shot three times in the back of the head.
0: Carmen was described as strong and feisty and it was thought that maybe she had defied Mr. Cruel and removed her blindfolds. According to Mrs. Chan, she had discussed the Mr. Cruel case with her daughter and Carmen had proudly stated that if she were abducted, she wouldn't go willingly and would put up a fight. Nicola Linus recalled that Mr. Cruel had stated, my freedom is more important than your life.
1: Operation Spectrum collaborated with the FBI to produce a profile of Mr. Cruel. It was thought that Mr Cruel might work for the education department because his attacks always occurred during school holidays. He would be steadily employed and people who knew him would regard him highly. He may even be involved in his community.
0: He would be a very obsessive compulsive person who would be likely to wash and sanitise himself frequently. It was likely that he was both intelligent and organised and would likely display a keen interest in children.
1: It is rare for predators like Mr. Cruel to stop committing offences without being imprisoned or dying. However, there is no evidence that Mr. Cruel has committed any offences since the 1991 murder of Carmen Chan. Police on the case believe the reason for this is probably because he is one of the men that is on their radar and felt pressure when he was interviewed, knowing that if he stepped out of line again, he would be apprehended. Now, I just need to mention this because we haven't touched on it so obviously carmen is the only person that mr Krull murdered yeah um so there is a small um amount of police that do believe that carmen is not actually one of mr cruel's victims that yeah. she in fact may have been abducted and murdered by somebody else and i know that was like one of the thoughts that came to mm, your mind it when did. you were reading it when i was researching i thought and how do we know because he didn't murder the other girls so yeah. um but then you what thought, I think,
0: yeah. my my take on that is like similar to what was said before. I just think that possibly because of the person Carmen was, mm. she did something that would have meant that she could identify him if he released her. Yeah, I honestly just think that, like Nicola Linus said, his freedom was more important than her life. And in that case, Carmen had done something that was going to impact on his yep. freedom, and for that, she was killed. And That's s- just what I believe.
1: Mm. And especially if he was, mm. like, obviously they're saying he may have been someone who was high in a community, he obviously would have held himself in that high regard as well. Absolutely. So for him to have been caught, he just would... He, it would have been a, a, a total embarrassment. Yeah, yeah, total embarrassment. So I can see where that all comes from, but I just I just thought I've got to mention it because yeah. in my head that was one of my first th- It's definitely first interesting.
0: Thoughts. I also think that, like, if there was a possibility that he was not that the person who killed Carmen wasn't Mr. Cruel, I feel like the police wouldn't have stated so surely mm. in general that she was a victim of Mr. Yeah. Cruel. Like, I feel like they must have some evidence that, that is made. pretty yeah. strong that it's the same person. Not only that, but, like, it would be quite rare that there would be such a meticulous, um, like, child abductor within that small area, in at, my opinion. At the, I the mean, same time. Yeah, at the same time. Yeah. Not that I know anything about the statistics of how many child abductors operate in any given area, but yes. just like my first thought as well. Yeah. That makes sense. So in 2016, the Victorian police released some information about their leading suspects that had been contained in a secret dossier called the Sierra Files. One of the prime suspects came forward and admitted to being one of the men in the Sierra Files.
1: A former Melbourne University lecturer admitted that he had committed a number of attacks at Knife Point in the early 70s and was jailed for 10 years. He would have been out of jail in time to commit the Mr Cruel attacks. At the time of his known offences, the man was married with three children. He did and still does live in Thornbury, not far from the Melbourne CBD. Uh,
0: I just want to say a little bit more about this guy. So this information about him actually came out in the Herald Sun. They did like sort of an expose piece on him and they were actually able to contact his lawyer as well who was willing to say a few things about him. And the lawyer actually stated that the victims of this man were treated very similarly Uh. to the Mr. Cruel victims, so being bound and sexually assaulted. Um, Some were assaulted in their homes and others were actually abducted and then released, so very similar to Mr. Cruel. And this guy's actually admitted that he thinks he, he's probably the number one suspect. And from the sounds of his crimes, you can kind of see why he would be. Um, also, his psychiatrist came forward publicly. And um, I'm not sure why, because well, I would have thought they would have had a...
1: No, they did do that call out. The police did a call out to all doctors and psychiatrists. To come forward if they had any information. Oh, really? Yeah. So I didn't know that. Well, that explains some why were came anxious out. to do it because obviously they they Holding didn't know the for sure. Yeah. But um, yeah, that could have been what it came yeah. out. Yeah. So that he time. actually
0: came forward and said that he was concerned because this guy had some really sick fantasies that he disclosed in in their sessions. Yeah. So you've actually got people coming forward about this guy. Well. Like fearing that he yeah. could be Mr. Cruel. So, I just thought that was interesting, something interesting to add. Who knows? Um, There's actually six other main suspects as well in the Sierra files. So, all seven of the men, so including the university lecturer, they were unable to be ruled out at the time Um, they were searching for Mr. Cruel. Police claimed that any seven of the men were perfectly capable and willing to commit the crimes of this nature, the men range from currently being aged fifty-seven to seventy-six years of age, which would put them in that prime age group back in, in the nineties yep. and the late eighties. Um, most of these men either cannot be tracked down now or are not willing to talk about the case. Although all the men have denied involvement in the past, um, the task force decided that if any other girls went missing, all seven men would be arrested and questioned immediately. But at the time, no other
1: attacks occurred. So. Unfortunately, the work of Spectrum Task Force has never led to the apprehension of Carmen's killer and the abuser of so many children. It is unknown whether he is alive or dead, but justice and closure is something the Chan family deserves. If you have any information about the murder of Carmen Chan or the abductions of Sharon Wills or Nicola Linus, please call Crime Stoppers on 1 800 333 000.
0: Thank you for joining us for episode three of the True Crime Sisters podcast. We hope you've learned something about the terror Mr. Cruel forced upon Melbourne throughout the 80s and 90s and even today as many of us wonder what became of him. Our thoughts are with the families of the victims, in particular the Chans, who live with the loss of their beautiful Carmen every day. Please join us next week for episode four and until then, please stay safe.